This is Richard Thomas, the author of Transubstantiate, and you're listening to Booked Podcast. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Uh, I guess we should probably kick off this episode with explaining why this episode isn't the episode you might have expected to hear. So at the end of our last review, uh, the summer has ended and we are not yet saved. Is that Did I get that right? You got it. Okay, yeah. Um, we had said that in all likelihood we would be interviewing Joey Camo. So if you've tuned in tonight for that interview, uh, sadly that interview did not occur. Um, a little bit of trouble uh, getting a hold of Mr. Camo um, after we, like, as I mentioned, initially kind of gotten, a, you know, an agreement from him to be on the show. So we're not done trying. I'm not saying you won't hear a Joey Camo interview. You're just not going to hear it tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but on to tonight. Tonight's very exciting. We did mention this book um, in the last episode. I don't think we specifically said we were going to review it, but we decided to review The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith. So uh, I'll give you a little bit about Robert. Born in 1968, Robert Galbraith is married with two sons. After several years with the Royal Military Police, he was attached to the SIB, Special Investigation Branch, the plainclothes branch of the RMP, which is Royal Military Police, I believe. Hey, there you go. Uh, he, he left the military in 2003 and has been working since then in the civilian security industry. The idea for protagonist Cormoran Strike grew directly out of his own experiences and those of his military friends who have returned to the civilian world. Robert Galbraith is a pseudonym for J.K. Rowling. So apparently J.K. Rowling was in the military. Yeah, I never right? knew that J.K. So, spent any time in the uh, special investigations branch. That's pretty cool. Can I just start off? And normally we, we would talk story first, but I tell you that there are people that are actually kind of pissed off that she pretended to have been in the military through the pseudonym. Like, I'm assuming it's military people that are pissed off, right? You know, I don't know. This this comes from reading reviews and just articles on this. But I guess that um, one of the, the, the points that somebody made was that you may choose to read a book based on who the author is. Meaning not because nobody had ever heard of Robert Galbraith before. This is a debut novel for that pseudonym. But if you believe this guy was in the military and worked in, in uh, you know, private security, you know, civilian security and stuff, you may think he has some insight into, you know, detecting work or whatever the, the core of the story is. And it turns out it's just like a housewife. I mean, well, that's the whole James Frey thing. Like, he wrote that supposed book about his life. Right. That wasn't actually about his life. But people still loved it until they found out it wasn't real. Yeah. Well, that so, was, like, yeah. you're arguing quality over, like, transparency, kind of? Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm saying that. Really, the, yeah, but, yeah, no, that's, I, I agree. And that's what I said to him before. A good story is a good story. Um, but, yeah, no, <laughs> this is some of the things that I've read where people were, were kind of pissed off because she wasn't in the military and, you know, she, she didn't, you know, she's not this person. So, anyway, that makes just sense. thought it was I mean, something to be interesting to mention for a pseudonym. No, yeah. It totally, it makes sense. It's a good argument too, like to a degree, but there's like a point where it's like, well, you like the book, but yeah. If, if you like the book, if you like the book, well, let's talk about the book. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the synopsis of the book here. 
a brilliant mystery in a classic vein, Detective Cormoran Strike investigates a supermodel suicide. After losing his leg to a landmine in Afghanistan, Cormoran Strike is barely scraping by as a private investigator. Strike is down to one client and creditors are calling. He has also just broken up with his longtime girlfriend and is living in his office. Then, John Bristow walks through his door with an amazing story. His sister, the legendary supermodel Lula Landry, uh, known to her friends as the Cuckoo, famously fell to her death a few months earlier. The police ruled it a suicide, but John refuses to believe that. The case plunges strike into the world of multi-millionaire beauties, rock star boyfriends, and desperate designers, and it introduces him to every variety of pleasure, enticement, seduction, and delusion known to man. You may think you know detectives, but you've never met one quite like Strike. You may think you know about the wealthy and famous, but you've never seen them under an investigation like this. You may think you haven't read this book before. Have you? You have. Oh, man. Can we talk a little bit about the synopsis? Of course. I didn't read the synopsis. I did diligently copy and paste it. (laughs) from somewhere <laughs> probably um, amazon from robert galbraith's website maybe <laughs> um I have, a, I have a couple of issues with this first of all um I, I like how they have to qualify the title right in the the synopsis by saying her, her friends call her the cuckoo there's one person that calls her cuckoo and it's not even the cuckoo it's just cuckoo it's not her friends it's one person and that's how they validate this title mm-hmm. is that correct only one person that the gi the designer one person affectionately refers to her that way. Another refers to her as that because they know that someone else refers to her that way. Yeah. So, but they even have like a different, I can't remember what it was, but that person had a different like pet name for her, Mm -hmm. but referred to her as cuckoo because it came up, I think earlier. So yeah, I I like how the synopsis had to qualify the title by kind of addressing that incorrectly. And then uh, the second thing, uh, dude, seriously, you've never met a private detective like Strike? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a movie or read a book where <laughs> the investigator is actually like, like does okay for himself? He's not down and out. He's not like, you know, living out of his office and wearing shabby clothing. Cause I, I, I can't, I can't think of one. He's like, he's meeting a client and he's like, you know what? I cannot surveil your wife tonight because uh, my seven year old's got a baseball game. Yeah, I mean, every time you read this, and I'm, I'm kind of going to take that back a little bit because one of my favorite detectives, Elvis Cole, does not suffer from the same syndrome. But this, <laughs> this detective, you've never met one quite like Strike. I beg to differ. I, I fail to see how he's different from 90% of, of, you know, this type of one-person private detective agency. Well, if that's your only problem with this book, I think we're doing good. Okay, well, we'll see where we go from there. <laughs> any rate, um, the synopsis does uh, pretty much sum it up. We, uh, we jump into Detective Strike's life um, just as he breaks up with his, his girlfriend of many, many years. Um, and he's about to basically uh, have a loan called in on him. Um, he has basically one client that's a recurring client for him. Um, and, uh, and, and he gets this. He gets two things. He gets this new sidekick secretary um, sent to him from the temp agency. And he gets his first, um, you know, legitimate job. It sounds like a well-paying job in quite a while, and that shows up in the in the form of John Bristow, whose stepsister um, apparently committed suicide. But John Bristow um, isn't convinced of that, and he thinks there may have been foul play involved. 
That's right. So Cormoran's strike in the beginning of the book is at his lowest. Which is average for a detective in a novel. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, that's every, I mean, yeah. even even weird ones like uh, that one Warren Ellis did, right? Yeah. Crooked yep. Little Vein, same yep. kind of thing. Every, like, every, like, everything, every, thi- every uh, book that's got a detective that's like the main character goes through this, but um, yeah, he's at his lowest and uh, um, his sidekick slash secretary. So he, um, he has, there's a temp agency, which I can't remember temporary solutions. Is that what it was called? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Temporary solutions. Um, he had an arrangement to have an assistant secretary type person um, sent over for a week and it happens to be a woman named Robin, who has recently been proposed to by her uh, now fiance Matthew. So she's kind of life's taken a turn for the better. She's very excited and happy. Um, she's doing temp jobs until she lands like her ideal job. And um, this temp week is with our detective, and she was kind of excited to find out that it was a detective that she was going to be working for. Right, until she figures out that this guy's broken and has no clients. Yeah, he's kind of a scumbag. <laughs> well, and, and yeah, yeah, he, he's living out of his office, which is a very, very recent. As a matter of fact, I take that back. He isn't living out of his office in, in theory until, you know, like after her first day. But, uh, you know, so they get into the investigation. And he, I'm going to sum up this whole book in, in this next paragraph or so. Hmm. Um, Lula Landry, dead supermodel, um, was adopted by her family. Uh, probably about 30 different people could be suspects and have had a reason to kill her and Cormoran Strike and his um, his uh, uh, administrative assistant, to be politically correct, <laughs> um, have to solve this mystery. Yeah. yeah. That's about it. So, of course, as is always the case with rich families, they go to um, a private detective who's down and out and uh, obviously very apparently doesn't seem to know what what to do he's not successful in his job and everything and that's the person that they choose to or i'm sorry not they john bristow decides to have investigate the sister's uh death but there is a connection because and you correct me if i'm wrong but he basically noticed that strike uh went to school with his john's dead older brother charlie who died in a tragic accident when they were kids. Yep. So he's like, oh, this is the dude for the job. I'm going to hire this mofo. He actually says it was like a sign. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's like, so from John's perspective in the book, he comes to Cormoran because he's like, you know, I think there's foul play. I'm, you know, I just at my wits end with this. It's really getting to me. And then I find out there's a detective who went to school with my brother who died tragically when I was a kid seemed like the right thing to do so that's why he reached out to Cormoran Strike so Cormoran Cormoran weeds through um, a fairly eclectic group of um, mostly well-to-do people that are involved in, in Lula Landry's life so you know there's the the stepbrother um, you know she has adopted mother um, there's a, an uncle who's rich and then of course there's a supermodel friends um, I mentioned Guy the designer who it, it seems like maybe he was partially responsible for her career but big big name designer that Lula did a lot of work with and was very very close with 
boyfriend, uh, very kind of Britney Spearsy kind of boy. I don't remember what her boyfriend was. You remember that scumbag she dated? Where I thought he was scumbag. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, uh, I can't remember his name. Yeah, the guy who became famous for dating her. He had no yeah. fame on his own, but yeah. So, um, you know, and then there are some other people. So you know, obviously anybody in the vicinity of of where this um, alleged suicide, maybe murder, happened. Um, including, you know, the doorman and the driver. And so, you know, you get this eclectic mix of people. While I was doing some research on this Shelfari that I'd never heard of before, which is a company, a community, or website owned by Amazon, lists 73 character mentions in this book. That's a lot of characters, a lot of threads. And he does interview quite a few of them. There's a, you know, downstairs um, couple that's a... TV producer and his kind of like gold digging wife. And, you know, I mean, there's just this slew of characters and, you know, like, like most of this type of book, you know, everybody has a reason. Everybody's a suspect kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. um, that's it. That's so you got 25 pages of getting Cormoran and Robin together. Then you get about 400 pages of what I just talked about. And, (laughs) And then there's, you know, like a, like a 15 page reveal. And the and the bias just comes out. <laughs> what? All right. So I will say that when the investigation begins, I thought that his um, actual ability as an investigator showed through quite uh, early in the book. That he was actually actually a pretty good investigator, and the way she wrote it was like, "Damn, this dude knows this stuff." Um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with you there. It, it's he, he does uh, a very she does a very good job of of providing Cormoran with with the abilities to to do the investigation and to do these interviews, and he's fairly insightful. Um, and it's uh, it's interesting, and you know, this might step a little bit into spoiler territory, but unlike you know some detective stories he doesn't find clues. Everything he does is basically through the course of interviews. So there's not a lot of, you know, I, I found a fingerprint here mm-hmm. or I, I, I caught this on video that nobody else saw. You know, it, it's very much like, I'm just going to keep asking questions until you know, I figure out what's going on. So that was a little bit, I, I like that a little bit versus the, the clue that everybody else missed, which comes up in detective right. stories. Right. Right, so like almost like there was a thoroughness to it, um, which is good because it shows good like investigative work. Almost like the thoroughness that that existed in, um, and you're gonna hate me for this comparison, I know it. Um, but the Millennium series, the girl with the dragon tattoo and the sequels, mm-hmm. there was yeah. his entire investigation was just very thorough, like an, an analysis of facts and interviews and stuff like that. You know, I didn't think of that, but you're right. It is. It uh, it did seem a little bit similar to that. Now, the downside to this method of investigation is that it's not flashy or exciting. <laughs> no, it's a little dry. And, yeah. uh, so uh, I think one of my few objections to the Millennium Series books was that they were really long and not tedious to get through, but they weren't quick, easy, exciting reads. There was like a lot to them and they were a little bit on the dry side and this suffers from the same effect. 
one of the other similarity is the huge, huge cast of characters that both mm-hmm. those stories and in this in this shared. Like I said, seventy three names in a four hundred page book. I'm not gonna do the math, but that's a new name popping up pretty goddamn often. Yeah, yeah. So like you- to, to be fair, some of those characters may have only been mentioned in conversation once or twice, but dude, seriously, yeah. So you've got the type of investigators who they get their information from sleeping with the right person and noticing that there's a mark or there's like they find mm-hmm. something while the person's in the shower and all that weird kind of stuff. Not that type of story here. It's all like I interviewed this person and I got that information, which after I interviewed seven other people made me realize that this was going on. It was that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Um, overall, and I'm going to say I, I believe I said this um last year when we when we reviewed the casual vacancy um you know the writing is good it might be a little bit of the storytelling that suffers and and in this case nowhere near as much as the casual vacancy in that (laughs) the story well no and that the story was followable and like you said it was a little dry in parts and and that was okay it's just it seemed so uninspired and so unoriginal Hmm. yeah so that's about as much as we can talk about story, at least for the time being, right? Yeah, I, you know, like before we do the wrap ups, I, I want to address the end of the story. So just let me know when we're ready to do that. Cool. Okay. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, that's the essentials of the story without going into. I mean, I'd like to talk about. I mean, really, the only thing I'd like to talk about is Robin. Robin. You got. You want to do that now? Sure. All right. So my favorite part of the book or character in the book, and I think it's probably going to be the same for lots of people who read this, was Robin, who is the uh, temporary secretary slash administrative, whatever you want to call her. Um, Reason I liked her was that she was probably like the only relatable character really in the book. Cormoran Strike is a bit of a stretch. Although, I mean, the stuff that he goes through in, in the course of the book is is definitely, I'd say, relatable. He goes through realistic things in his life, but he's just not someone you're, you know, emotionally get behind. But Robin, on the other hand, she's just like right there because she's, you know, she's starry-eyed and uh, really intelligent. But like, you know, like, yeah, her whole character, um, just a lot easier to, to like, I think. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I'm probably a little, and I say this as a like, more endeared to Cormoran Strike than you seem to be. I, I thought he was a likable guy. You know, and like you said, the things he went through are realistic. There is a great scene where he gets drunk about halfway through the book. Yeah. <laughs> which was probably the best the best written chapter in this in this whole thing. Because it's funny and it's very realistic. Yeah, and Robin's reaction. So she goes and, and she plays the the savior to him. She finds him in a bar and he's just just pissed drunk and you know and, and she stays with him and, and she tries to get him back to his office and you know and it's great. The interaction between them specifically in that scene was phenomenal, um, but it was good throughout. Yeah, you know, I, I thought that their relationship was fairly believable. Yeah, great rapport. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I, if I had to pick, you know, one thing I liked about it, it, it was that. Yeah, totally. Their yeah, their relationship was good, but if I had to pick, I definitely was more of a team Robin than a team Cormoran. I also like to address too how this, uh, and, and I know that the book itself says that this is the first in a series, so it, there's no there's no hidden agenda there. But there are so many things in this book that were set up to be 
part of a series. Like the whole big deal about her getting engaged. There are parts where it comes up that like her boyfriend's unhappy that she's working for this guy who like lives out of his office and it's not like a real reputable business. Like she should be working for a big firm somewhere, you know, kind of thing. But you can see the future of that in the next series. The fact that and something we didn't mention that um, Cormoran is the illegitimate child of a, you know, an aged rock star, you know, who, who was known for, you know, he has kids with several different women and stuff. That's all future stuff that didn't play in this book. It's brought up fairly frequently, mm-hmm. but it had no real bearing or impact on the book. So, you know, that's the setup for him to investigate his father's murder in the next book or, you know, something along those lines. So there were a lot of setup pieces, I felt, with him. Interesting. I had no idea that it was a series until you literally just said it right now. Really? See, I was, I mean, I knew it, but when I was reading through it, there's the things with his, uh, with his ex-girlfriend, like... It came up frequently enough. He could have just been living in his apartment, but there's this woman that he dated on and off for years. So you can see that being a recurring character or not just a recurring character, but a a big plot line that comes up. Perhaps she gets murdered in another book or something like that. But there's like all these things that were brought up that were really unfinished and weren't necessary to this story. Hmm. Interesting. But I can tell you that if it goes to four stories, we're going to see something happen with his father, something happen with his girlfriend. Uh, Matthew, is that the, the fiance's name? Yeah is somehow going to be a part of one of the next books. Interesting. Very cool. So, so that's that. Yeah. I just want to make sure I talked about Robin because she was in case she's listening, you know, I want her to like <laughs> me too. Um, Dude, Robin is just a pseudonym for a guy named Frank. Damn it. So that's, yeah. Damn. That's the way it works. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, can I point out, that there's a word that appears in this book that we talked about a long time ago. That... Yes, because I think I actually highlighted it, but I don't have my Kindle open. So go ahead. Was it was it Schadenfreude? Yes, it was. <laughs> it's like chapter two, like really yeah. early. In the it's book. like yeah. thirteen pages into the book. Yeah. Uh, the the quote is: uh, "She had become she became a morality tale stiff with Schadenfreude, and so many columnists made allusions to Icarus." That private eye ran a special column. Was it during her book that we talked about how I'd said that I think sometimes authors use big words just to make people yeah words up because yeah. she used obstreperous. Yeah, and uh, and the word and maybe I'm the only person that didn't know this, but um, the word vitu- vituperative. I, I think I had it. to look that one up when I was reading it. Which one yeah. is that? Vituperative. Yeah. What is it? It's an adjective. An adjective bitter and abusive. Hmm. No, I was not aware of that one. Um, she also used like weird. I think these are more like kind of common British uses, like penury, penury, talking about being poor or destitute. That came up a few times. She's using the weird words, buddy. Yeah, and I don't know what that is. I don't know. That's it's kind of weird. Um, maybe you know, it's just here. I have a theory. Mm-hmm. Do you think women are smarter than men? Because every time we have like a big word, it's like a woman author. Don't don't be silly. <laughs> this is a serious show. I think... <laughs> All right. For the record, everybody, Livius is the sexist. So... I was trying to give women the upper hand here. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what causes that. Um... I don't know. Maybe we don't read enough bestsellers. Maybe every bestseller has Schadenfreude in it and vituperative and yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe we're just too lowbrow. 
That can't be. Um, I don't. I have a couple quotes. Are we ready to, to do like quotes? I want to point out two other things. Sure. All right. One thing. Uh, I think it's the first chapter, second chapter. Uh, it was Robin thinking about her traveling through. They had she had her and her fiance. I think had recently moved to London from who knows where, and um, she's thinking about traveling through London on her own. And was told not to use like guide maps to get to places because it made her look like a tourist and more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And um, that that part, this is for people who are fans of that BBC Sherlock show. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew had told her not to walk around with her nose in an A to Z. Now, you've seen both series of the Sherlock show, right? I have. All right, you remember the one. I can't remember what it was called with the uh, the smuggler, the Chinese smugglers. Yes. The yes. book that they used to make their code off of was the London A to Z. Wow. Yeah. Little poll there. Dude, you just like, it was like a David James Keaton level, but for like BBC TV, yeah. Uh, yeah. pulling something out of your ass. That was impressive. I watched those shows, those episodes quite frequently. And then, before we kick off, quote, do, you have, do you have trouble guessing who you know what, the mystery still? Or wait, what? No, oh, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> in the episodes, I have trouble even understanding. It's what you always a that. surprise who the murderer is. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Um, and then I there's one. All right, this is me just being a picky bitch, and I'm just gonna get it out of the way as, as early as possible. For someone who is so established as an author, there there's just some bits of just like really kind of shabby writing um like she just didn't put effort into parts of it i don't think i'm gonna read three very short paragraphs they're like a uh, a sentence or two each he picked up his cup clumsily his hands were trembling so much that the coffee slopped over the edge of his sharply pressed suit trousers what exactly is it you would like me to do for you strike said Bristow replaced the cup shakily on the desk, then gripped his hands together tightly. What's wrong with these sentences? Um, there's there's a little too much shakily, tightly, and I don't know what the other Clumsily, one sharply, Clumsily. shakily, tightly. Yeah. In like four lines. Oh. Yeah, yeah. She's very wordy. She, she seems to have trouble delivering just like a straightforward sentence. And it doesn't nearly bother me as much as I know it bothers you and a lot of our brighter listeners. <laughs> but yeah, that is that is really, yeah. I mean, that's like the whole show don't tell thing. Like, he picked up his cup clumsily. Could be like, you know, he as he picked up, you know, as he reached for his cup, he nearly knocked it over. Like whatever it is, like they could say it in a way that's more like descriptive mm-hmm. than just picked up his cup clumsily. Yep. Lazy. But it is like a 450-page book, so. Dude, but you know what? She's J.K. Rowling, which means she has nothing but time to to write. I don't know who does her editing, um, you know, or if she does it all. So it's kind of along the lines of uh, when I see superstars talking about, you know, someone like Oprah talking about, like, her struggles with weight. Listen, you're a billionaire. You have a chef, you have a personal trainer. So you know what, when I hear like the guy I work with complain about how hard it is not to just get a cheeseburger or how hard it is to get motivated to go to the gym, it's kind of the same thing here. I could accept that from someone whose first book it is, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, it does get harder to swallow when, you know, you should have or be able to afford the best editors out there. Um, you've got all the time in the world to do it. So you're not, you know, trying to scribble down a couple of lines, you know, in between picking up your one kid from school and, and you know, and diapering your other one or whatever it is. Like, come on. That's true. That's a good point, sir. Now, on the flip side, I'm going to talk about a couple of the passages I did like. So did it. I, I thought this was uh this is very early in the in the story, and Cormoran uh, has uh, collected up some of his uh, some of his belongings. And I thought this was kind of a great description of how he feels about his life, and gives us a good look at the character. Four cardboard boxes stood in the middle of the sitting room, open for him to inspect. Here were his cheap and serviceable belongings, heaped together like jumble sale objects. He lifted a few things up to check the deeper levels, but nothing seemed to have been smashed, ripped, or covered in paint. Other people his age had houses and washing machines, cars and television sets, furniture and gardens, and mountain bikes and lawnmowers. He had four boxes of crap and a set of matchless memories. Yeah. I'm the so same was... I'm the same age as him. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I thought it was insightful and it actually reminded me how there were there were quite a few descriptions I really liked where like one passage really told you a lot about the person. If I remember correctly, in the casual vacancy, it's the one woman is talking about her sister who always had like mm, uh, yep. like little bits of paper with account numbers or something written on them. And that like told you everything you needed to know. Like she had files and like account numbers for things. Yep. And it's like you automatically knew. I felt like that really that's all I needed to know about Cormoran Strike as a person was like his feelings about those four boxes. So, yeah. um, which would be the exact opposite of what you demonstrated with the clumsily shakily. <laughs> so. <laughs> She could have said he was broken, had nothing, but you know. Well, here's one that um, I, I thought was the better side of Rowling's writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stood up to give Bristow the full benefit of his six feet three inches, held out a hairy-backed hand, and attempted to counter his visitor's sartorial superiority by projecting the air of a man too busy to worry about laundry. <laughs> Not bad. I did like that, too. And then I was thinking to myself, because... The sister's name is Landry. Yeah, anyway. It's a a stretch. (laughs) Over there, they probably call it the wash. They probably, yeah. No, that's in the south. Okay. Maybe it's in the the south of England. Hey, could be. All right, here's another one. And this is is more of a a personal thing, because I goddamn hate this word. Oh, said Tansy, the monosyllable contained equal parts of surprise and disdain. Do you know any guys that use the word O in that? Like, occasionally, I'll say, like, O, like, tell me more. (laughs) Right. Only women use the word O, and it always means I'm so disappointed (laughs) in whatever you just said. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to think about it. Yeah, they never say O like that. Yeah, you're right. Equal parts surprise and disdain. And Mm -hmm. you know what? Um, Yeah, that's, see, again, that's that's just, I I knew everything I needed to know about this woman, Tansy, from that one line. So. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I have a couple, I have a couple little, you know, other things, nothing, nothing really, I don't know, nothing really important. I do have to say that I always find it interesting when people write, and I don't know what this is, but, um, Lula Landry has a friend that she met in rehab. Who's a a very down and out, um, you know, drug addict, drug addict who's, you know, in rehabilitation now, but she's very obviously from the poor side of town and there's her. And then there's, um, Landry's birth mother, who is also very, very, you know, ghetto, so to speak. And anytime the two of them were talking, 
it, it was all like a bunch of um, uh, apostrophes. Yeah, was, like two or three yeah. in a word sometimes, <laughs> like words like hospital with, you know, without the I or uh, I, I can't do this because it'd be so much funnier if I did. But, you know, instead of four, it's just an F, the apostrophe, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, I kind of enjoyed that. <laughs> if I, I could read that better, I'd read them just because I think they're hilarious. Here, Here's one that I actually uh, a quote that I actually thought was really good like it really struck struck me oh and by the way it's the page after um the one about the matchless memories which i did also have uh, highlighted so that's a that's one that that's the one that both of us have uh but this is cormorant's basically uh reflecting on um moving out of the place with the girl that he just broke up with and she's got a like a picture a painting of herself uh, hanging up, and it's a, of her when she was young, when she was like eighteen. And um, he's like really struck by this painting more than you would think he would be. Um, and and the the quote that I liked was, "A strange stray thought came to him now as he looked up at the portrait, that this was the reason it had been painted, so that one day, its large hazel green eyes would watch him leave." I was like, "Damn, that's cool," mm-hmm. and like really sad in a way. I agree. It was very good. There's things about her writing that are very good. In in some ways, I feel about her like, uh, you know, we talked a bit in the past about this. I kind of feel a little bit like line by line. I, I really like her writing. It's just <laughs> like the stories that need help. I think that it's up and down. And here's an example of one of the downs. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. His mobile charging as usual on the floor beside the camp bed made the buzzing noise that announced the arrival of a text. That's probably the most boring sentence I've ever read out loud. (laughs) And then there was this one. I'm just going to throw this last one out because I think it's really hilarious. If you consider it's J.K. Rowling who wrote this. Um, Someone, I'm not going to to give you the context or the characters, but, ah, shit, I can't even say it. It's too spoilery. Never mind. I have to back off of that one. But I'll read it to you, Olivia. You ought to give up detecting and try fantasy writing strike. You haven't got to try to prove anything you say. Yeah. Actually, it's not spoilery at all if I don't say who said it, but... That's correct. So, that's all I got. You uh, ready to rock some wrap-ups, sir? Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it, there's something else I want to talk about about the book. So, I think we're going to push this all the way a little later. So, But remember that I'm going to come back to what I'm going to say in my wrap-up. Because um, I want to demonstrate one of the, you know things that I really disliked about this book. Um, the good, like I said, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, I enjoy her writing. Um, I didn't pick out as many bad things about the writing as Rob did. And it, perhaps it's just that I'm more, I don't want to say forgiving a reader. I think I just don't notice that kind of stuff as much. Just I have a less critical eye when it comes to the, the you know, bad sentence. Um, I like her writing. I like the way she writes. You know, her prose is okay by me. The way she describes things I'm okay with. Um, it's the story. Um, first and foremost, uh, very unoriginal. So when we read The Casual Vacancy, at least I thought, to me, that was kind of an original story. You know, it's like this t- small town that's kind of going through this thing where they're trying to elect a new mayor. And, you know, you see different people kind of fighting it out. And it's not something I'd, I'd read or was very familiar with as a story before. Um, I thought the story sucked, but at least it was original. Um, we got to this, and the story's okay, 
but I feel like the same story has been told over and over again. The down and out private eye. Um, you know, he's got a sidekick that's going to help him get through this. You know, he's investigating a suicide that, you know, only one person thinks is a murder. And, you know, lo and behold, this probably isn't a spoiler to anybody. It is a murder. You know, I just felt like it was just totally, totally uninspired. Um, big cast of characters, some of them uh, quirky enough to, to like. Uh, a lot of the stuff that developed throughout the course of the story was decent mystery stuff. It just felt... It just felt like a like a retelling of of you know several different things that I've read or seen in in movies or or whatnot. So, um, so for that, I, I don't have a very good rating. Now I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit uh, and talk about. I'm not gonna talk about the end. The end was terrible. So whatever respect I had for this book for the first 420 pages or so, <laughs> I lost with the end. So I'm gonna talk about that a little later. I'm not gonna mention it now because there's some other things we want to do as part of our wrap up. Um, but I will come back to that and we'll kind of tune in on when you want to tune out in case you still want to read The Cuckoo's Calling. But for right now, this is going to be a, a one and a half star book. Bum, bum, bum. That was like dramatic music. All right. That's not <laughs> my forte, obviously. Actually, Livius and I are going to kind of be kind of somewhat opposite to a degree. What I liked about the book was that while not the most original story ever, uh, it was solid, well-written, and um, yeah, formulaic, sure. It was kind of like the same thing we've seen over and over again, but like at least it kind of works in the context of what it was trying to do. That being said, this 470-page book, yeah, is that about right? really could have been a very good 250-page book. The example I can give for this is that in the end, the reveal, which could have been a very dramatic page and a half to two pages was a far less dramatic like 16 pages of like basically a laundry list of everything that happened like it's essentially like if you took an outline of the actual crime and each each like little dot along that timeline was about a half a page that was what was what you read so it wasn't like it was. It did not suffer from being brief at all. Uh, it was. <laughs> it was really long and drawn out, and um, at a time where it's crucial just to get like as much, um, you know, awe or shock or like surprise as possible packed into a small amount of space. Uh, I mean, it was just loaded with detail that just was unnecessary, and a lot of, sadly, a lot of the more interesting parts of the book suffered from being far too large like it's almost as if she said this is a really strong point let's make it as big as possible which pretty much contradicted the entire uh, power of that moment so it would have been a really strong book if it was a lot more brief i liked the story enough it wasn't incredibly original like livia said i'll agree with him on that but it wasn't um, it wouldn't have been bad if it wasn't so drawn out. That being said, I think overall I'm going to go to I'm going to go two and a half stars on this. Okay. That puts it at an average of two, which is the same thing we gave the casual vacancy. <laughs> but why do we keep reading this crap? Well, it's timely. It's uh, it's something of interest. Oh, I know. I know. So. Um. Can we bring back one of my favorite segments now? 
<laughs> I was thinking about this the other day, and I was listening to I. I have been listening just to, uh, a little bit because I've, I made a little bit of a podcast route um, to some of our old episodes just to see, like, just to kind of like refresh the memory and everything. Because you'd be surprised how much I forget about the stuff we talk about, and it's one of my favorite things we do, to be honest. I uh, I went through and I pulled. I don't know how many we'll go through, but I pulled like five or six one star reviews for this book, and and none of these did I pull to support my opinion. Um, I did see a lot of that's a lot of where I got what I mentioned at the top of the episode with people being just like one star because she said that, you know, she was in the military, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, This first one I want to read and it it, this is the first time that some other things kind of struck me about reviews. First of all, this is the best one star review anyone's ever given a book. One out of five stars, a delicious read, Uh, a good read, loved Stryker and Robin. I hope there will be more tales like this. I like the Latin quotations. I enjoyed it. By the way, those were, there are three or four of them, like in the different like parts of mm, the book. Yeah, yeah. Love the Latin quotations. I enjoyed the humor, satire, and underlying decency of Stryker and Robin. I got confused over who did what, but it did not matter as the characters were also vividly drawn. More about Stryker and Robin, please. That was a one-star review. And two people found that review helpful, that one-star review. Uh, you know there's no character named Stryker, right? Yeah. Okay, and, good. I know. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. It, the whole thing just struck me as, as that's a really weird one star. Do they not understand how the, the yeah. rating system works? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And maybe it was like no, because strike would be a word on your phone. But if you capitalize it, I wonder if striker like as a name would. I don't know. Yeah. But yes, I did know. I just thought it was like I said. There are a few things about that one that I really thought were worthy. Do you want to read this uh, this next one? Yeah, I'll take this one. I was wondering if we were going to just alternate. Yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah, if you want to. Uh, this one, this one really struck me at, in, in my heart, like deep down in my emotions. So, uh, you could tell why they were angry. I'll just read it out. I ordered my book, The Cuckoo's Calling, on my Kindle on the 18th of July and haven't received it yet. It was paid for. Help, please. That's a one-star review. You would think. So, if, if I, as a, first of all, I'm gonna, just going to take a stab at, at this you know, it's an Amazon verified purchase because it tells you that when you review the book. So, you know, that Amazon knows they purchased it. Uh-huh. This is like someone who didn't turn on their Wi-Fi on their Kindle uh-huh. or has no clue. And then doesn't hit like the customer service button or go to their confirmation email because there's a place on there, I think, where you can click for help. Uh-huh. You know, like when you buy a book, I think there's a link to trouble with this file, you know, click here. Instead, it gives the author a one star review um, because of the uh, unable to get it. Now, three people found that review helpful. That, That's the thing that yeah. strikes me as the most odd. Yeah. <laughs> so. Three other people were like, "Yeah, yeah, I could see, yeah, why that's a one-star review." Now, this is obviously a common problem, and I also have a theory on this. So, the next review I picked out was also <laughs> one out of five stars. I was unable to load the book on my Kindle, also an Amazon verified purchase. Um, I got to the window that asked me to choose a credit card, and there were no choices. I could go no farther. I gave up trying. One star review for Cuckoo's Calling. What a terrible book. It won't even load on your Kindle. Oh, Dwayne. Yeah, Dwayne. Dwayne, Dwayne, Dwayne. Dwayne. Here's what I'm thinking. A lot of times when we pick out these little reviews, a lot of times it's for, uh, let me put it this way, they're almost never for books as big as this because it's J.K. Rowling. So maybe like we've read Dan Brown or, you know, but there's a few of them. You know, a lot of them are smaller books. The amount of people that would flock to a J.K. Rowling book, I have to imagine that we're gathering some people who maybe don't buy a lot of books or aren't very technologically savvy. Like Dwayne? 
Talking about Dwayne? Like Dwayne. I mean, the thing I could attribute to from my own personal life experiences is the types of people that have trouble with like a Kindle Fire versus like a Nexus 7. Like everybody knows what a Kindle Fire is. So a lot of people who maybe should known that type of electronic buy it because that's what's what, what they see everywhere. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Versus the people who dig down a little deeper for, for a piece of, of technology. I think it's the same thing. These are people who bought the book because J.K. Rowling wrote it and they can barely figure out how to get it on their Kindle. Well, it's a good thing zero out of 45 people found the the review helpful. Well, it's like it says to get the credit card, but it's a verified purchase. So at some point, he clicked the buy button. Dwayne. Dwayne, Dwayne. you bought it. Yeah. You Check own it, Dwayne. statement, buddy. Dwayne, if you're listening, just type in anywhere on your browser, uh, find my Amazon purchases. <laughs> <laughs> and just try, buddy. Don't give up. Get that Kindle fire out. We, <laughs> we believe in you. Can I do the next one? Yes, absolutely. All right. Not happy with the profanity. Housefrau is the, uh, which is spelled wrong. It's kind of half and half. I don't understand it. But anyway, Housefrau has this to say about the, the book. I got a Kindle sample of the Cuckoo's Calling about two pages into the story. I got hit with the F-bomb bum, bum, bum. and stopped reading further. As far as I'm concerned, profanity is the effort of a weak mind to express itself forcefully. I am disappointed and will not be purchasing the book. House so, row. Yeah, so again, um, you and I, we review books, right? Yes. Yeah. We've reviewed, I don't know, we've, we've got to review 100 books by now, right? Yes. Give or take? Yeah, okay. Um. I can understand if you bought a book and you read 10, 15, 20 pages and then went in and decided to do a review because it was really bad. Because there are books I've given up after 20, 30 pages. That used to be my cutoff was like the 30-page point. Um, you know, I don't know if I could go in and write a review for it. But at that point, I think I formed a pretty good opinion. This person, I don't remember there being really any profanity in this book, to be honest. So I know she stopped at two pages in because there was an F-bomb. Um, but it certainly didn't turn out to be that type of book, right? Well, she didn't stop because there was an F-bomb. It's because she got hit with the F-bomb. <laughs> if I got hit with something while I was reading the book, I'd stop reading it too. So, so let's give the house and, for a little credit here. Yeah, I'm going to go back and uh, and be the uh, 16th <laughs> person to find that review helpful now. Because if I ever get hit with anything <laughs> while I'm reading, I'm totally putting the Kindle down. That's right. That's right. Let's, be, let's just at least be fair. This next one, three people found <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't even know how I'm going to get through this one. First of all, I'm going to try to read it. Uh, at, at parts, I'm going to stop and explain to you how this is typed. But um, this is goddamn one of the best reviews I've ever read. So uh, this is from Objective Reader. That's one star and it's uh, the title is Daniel Radcliffe would be ashamed. And then it's got a, a frowny face. Daniel Radcliffe, is that the kid that played Harry Potter? Yeah, and it's an angry frowny face because it's got the... Uh... Oh, oh, I wasn't, I gotcha. I wasn't even, I was thinking it was just point. Never mind. Okay. See, I already missed something in the the title. First of all, myself has to state that my opinion is not perturbed to be rude or insulting. This book was, how does one said, falsely commercialized and by B-Y-E, the way no, no, one heard the Koku call. 
to answer my previous question stated before. Anyway, back on the railroad. To which, I must say, falsely commercialized, and then this is in, in capital letters, this book was not a read worth reading. I'm going to agree with him on that. The issues with it I have were as follows. Cons. <laughs> Number one, Snape not included. Am I pronouncing that right? I'm guessing that's yeah. a reference. Yeah. Neither is Dumbledore. <laughs> Three, catch my drift. He's a horror crux. It's really funny if you've read Harry Potter. This is really funny because this person is just <laughs> writing it as if this was a sequel to Harry Potter. So I don't have to know anything about Harry Potter to think <laughs> that this is goddamn funny. So cons, Harry Potter book eight. No, I'm sorry, cons number one. So he has another cons list. Number one, Harry Potter book eight. Number two, Ginny does not get with Ron. Three, leaving Leving, the reader, very disappointed. And four, too much rape, which is probably the best line in this whole goddamn thing. There's zero rape in this book. There's no rape at all in this book. <clears throat> the gratuitousness, spelled G-R-A-T-O-U-S. The gratuitousness. Yeah, gratuitousness, sorry. Left me very disturbed and in a state of mental unsafe disturbedness. <laughs> right? Yeah. When Harry leaves Jonathan for Mr. Stapleton, I was sickened, to which I say no, no, mo, no. I do not reject your premise. I reject your face. Basically, to assume the conclusion, this is not worth all the perbicity. Galbraith needs to knock Rowling out if you catch me. No. To all those who make fun of my spelling and culture, I am Japanese. Please stop calling me a Torol. This isn't appropriately necessary, necessary, necessary to this web. All right. Can I tell you my favorite part? Sure. Um, <laughs> uh, the Harry, like the Harry Potter cons, are just hilarious. Uh, catch my drift. He's a Horcrux. It kind of spoils everything about Harry Potter. It's awesome. Yeah. So this was the most. So okay. I understand that maybe I made fun of somebody for whom English is a second or maybe in this case, third language. Um, but man, like the typos are like horrible. There's just like backslashes in the middle of words and, and just like way too many capital letters, like three capital letters in a word and then you know, nothing. It was just horrible. Plus, I also think that um, Amazon reviews, much like Facebook posts, have spell check right in them. I think they do, too. Yeah. But anyway, that's all I've got for for we read Amazon reviews. I uh, <laughs> basically what I learned from this is some people just shouldn't write any reviews. That's what I've learned. Yeah, yeah. Not I mean, being able to load a book on your Kindle is not a reason to give the writer a poor review because yeah, she wrote I mean, a shitty book. That's a good reason. Yep, there it is. Oh wait, can I, are we... you, can I give you the rest of my shitty review now? Can yeah. I talk about my yeah, yeah. Okay, so. If you really want to read this book, even after hearing um, Objective Reader's review about there's no Dumbledore, which is a little spoilery, <laughs> um, you're going to want to tune out for a couple of minutes. All right, Rob. Yeah. Can we talk about the fucking end of the book now? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. So John Bristow, Bristow, the guy hires Cormoran Strike, right? That's right. Okay. Do you remember at any point anybody else like being convinced it was a murder? 
Zero people. Zero wait, people. Wait, wait, no, no, no. The model people and the designer were like, thank God someone's investigating. Okay. So we didn't address this during the review, but it's been three months since the suicide. The police have closed the case. Nobody is looking into this, right? Nobody. Right. So stepbrother hires Cormoran Strike striker if you listen to whoever that was on the amazon review to investigate this can you tell the people who are still listening who the killer is who i get to do the reveal yep oh yeah well it was um the actual killer is revealed to be the stepbrother john bristow the guy who hires the private detective to investigate that's true yeah now did it seem to you like Bristow wanted to be discovered? And that's, you know, that you, you we've seen that in, in maybe not in any books we've read together, but we've seen that as a plot device, the serial killer mm-hmm. who wants to be stopped. No, no, he tries to kill Strike when Strike reveals that he's discovered him. So he's not looking to get caught. That so, is true. But Strike at one point very briefly did accuse him of being so full of himself that he thought that he was uncatchable. Yeah, and he was in away because everyone stopped chasing yeah well he would have been uncatchable yeah yeah he pulled off like the perfect crime because the police were like yeah it's done it's a suicide you know so now let's 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 rewind a little bit stepbrother kills his his stepsister but makes it look like a suicide 90 percent of the 73 characters 95 percent of the 73 characters Mm -hmm. all believe it was a suicide the police believe it was a suicide he's gotten away with murder Yet he hires a detective to investigate. This to me negates the previous 400 plus pages of the book because it was just unnecessary. There was a pretense. Okay. The will. Right. But the will, when it was found, was revealed to what? Not point to him. And he would have gotten that money anyway. I mean, it would have gone to his mother and then back to him when she died, right? No, the will revealed that she was leaving all of her money to her brother, her biological brother. Right. But my point is the will wouldn't have been found if he didn't hire a strike. They couldn't find a will. Right, right. Yeah, there's that. So it would have gone to her next of kin. So being that that would have been her stepmother, who's on her deathbed, the money still would have gone to the brother. To John Bristow or whatever. Bristow, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's no reason for him to have hired. There's no logical reason for him to have hired her. Or for him to have hired Strike to investigate any of this. That's absolutely right. Well, I mean, there's that thin, it's a very thin, like, um, Rochelle knew or thought she knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. And she was dangerous enough that she could have exposed the secret, but there still wouldn't have been a will. You're right, there wouldn't have been a will ever found if it weren't for the detective, for sure. Right, and the bottom line is, okay, so Rochelle, the, the drug addict friend, knew. Yeah, he's a killer. But the brother knew where to find, because he kills her too. Yeah. So, And he didn't need Cormoran to find her. Nope. He already had contact with her. Like, Fair, yeah, yeah, all the time contact with her. None of it made any sense to me after the reveal. Which, like I said, then takes the book that I thought, like, oh, the story's kind of slow in places, but, you know, I like her writing, and, and it was okay, even though I've read it, you know, or, or feel like I've read it several times already. To just like the shittiest reveal ever. Now, what they, what I think would have been better, would have been one of those situations where he was so determined to make sure that there was no proof, mm-hmm. that he hired the detective, to, you know what I'm saying? Like so, right. no, so essentially, yeah, yeah. like 
But at the end, when it's revealed that it, had he not done what he did, he would have gotten away with it, and doesn't try to kill the detective, but instead gets arrested and has to live with the fact that he caused his own downfall, that would have been a better ending. However, that you know would have actually played out. But you know what I'm saying, right? No, no, I, I understand what you're saying. So I was saying, if there would have been anything to validate, yeah. I just couldn't find one thing to validate why he would have hired him. Yeah, his weak sauce. Yeah, so that that really drove down my opinion of the book, and I, I realize obviously it's the super spoiler and a mystery to, to give up who it is. So, so if you haven't been listening, now you can tune back in. I'm done. <laughs> All right, are we done talking about? Do we even want to talk about the whole people are pissed, J.K. Rowling no. thing? No, we're good. No. no, I mean, like I said, I addressed people's dis. The only other thing to mention is that. The book was getting some good, you know, reviews and some even some good like critical reviews. But the bottom line is the pseudonym book never sells anything. So it didn't slip out that this was her. I'm certain this came from her publisher. That's how it yeah. slipped out when they decided that that's cool. It's gotten some good reviews. So we proved our point that she's a good writer when she's not writing Harry Potter. Um, but now we'd like to make our millions of dollars, please. And you know what happened? They they published the book and in the author's bio, it says this is a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. And when like nobody cared enough to try and figure out who the author was, they were like, this is who it is. Well, like I said, there's a huge financial difference in, in, in what happens. Yeah. You know, they left it out there for long enough for it to get some five star reviews on Amazon and, and maybe some write ups in you know, various literary you know, journals or whatever um, as a good debut. And you know, if this was a debut, it's like we talked about, this was a debut from someone else. And I said, eh, yeah, it was pretty good. But this is a multi-millionaire working with a giant publisher, and it's just not good enough for, for that level of... Just go read Frank Sinatra in a blender. <laughs> there it is. I was waiting for that. Yeah, if you want a detective, that is a pretty unassailable book. Yeah, at least three and a half stars more unassailable than this. Wow. That would put it for me at a 5.5. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, Frank Sinatra in a blender. That one could push the bounds of five. <laughs> nice. All right. So moving along, moving past yeah, Robert Galbraith. It doesn't suck. Yeah, let's. It's out. It's in the wild, it's, sir. It's out. The book anthology um, is out in most places. So here's the rundown. Um, you can maybe get it at Amazon where it's temporarily out of stock in its paper book format. Um, Barnes and Noble in stock in paper. Um, Amazon ebook available for your Kindle or um, Kindle app on your iDevice or Android device. Um, and that's it, right? That pretty much covers the basis for now. Time being, yeah, we are working on some other options. Um, but for now, that is the way you can get your hands or your Kindle apps on the booked anthology. I'm also fairly certain that if you order through Amazon, it won't be September when you get it. I'm pretty sure that you'll get it fairly soon. Yeah, I think that it's a bunch of flim flam, as uh, as David James Keaton would say, channeling Tony G and Gregorio. Yes, yes. So if you want to, I feel very confident saying if you place an order with Amazon, you will get your book shortly. Um, but if you're worried about that, head over. There's a place called Barnes & Noble. I know most of you haven't heard of it. Um, <laughs> BarnesandNoble.com. You know, they're responsible for about 3% of internet book sales, I think, or Amazon has the other 97%, but they do have our book in stock and it will be shipped to you straight away 
should you make your purchase there. That's right. Buy our book. Yeah, buy the book, read the stories, and then let us know what you thought of the stories, if you liked them. If you didn't, just keep it to yourself. Yeah, we don't want to hear that bullshit. That's all I'm saying. So, If you have any trouble buying our book or getting it on your device, please, before you give us a one-star rating, (laughs) email (laughs) rob at bookedpodcast.com or use the contact form on our website, and I will personally walk you through it. That's got to be worth at least two stars right there. God damn it. You are right. Because then when I was thinking, I was like, no, that's okay. Because I'll make fun of that person on every single episode for the remainder of the book run. <laughs> that, that could be four, five, 12 years. Yeah. I will mention you every time. So um, I will put my friends at Anonymous on you. We'll disclose your home address. Whoa. Whoa. Where your kids go to school. So. Now we're getting. That's, that's, t- that's, that's rough, dude. All right, Dude, what else listen, we listen. Do you remember? Do you remember what happened to the, the rival podcast when we were running for 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 um, podcast of the year? Yeah, I know. There's like the wheelchair wheelchair sales went up dramatically in certain parts of the world. Yeah, exactly. So, like I said, I'm not beyond that. Go ahead, leave a shitty one star review because you couldn't get it on your advice. See what happens. Uh, what else? What else we got? Um, in case you are tired of listening to what we have to say and actually want to read it, um, you can head over to twbrown.blogspot.com where Todd Brown was kind enough to give us not one, but two days worth of interview space on his website. Um, both Rob and I answered a series of questions. i got to be honest, the first written interview I've ever done. I guess a lot of questions. He did. He did. He did. We, I think so, we answered them quite well, though. I agree. He's a nosy bastard. There were like 15 questions. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, um, it, it's weird answering the questions, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm such a narcissist. I was like, I'll talk about myself. But <laughs> yeah, it is a change of pace for sure. Yeah. You know, he was like, oh, you know, what are some of your favorite books? And I was like, none of your business. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> You're just like every answer is keep reading. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just keep reading. Um, so thank you to Mr. Brown, who is a also a contributor to the book Danthology. Um, pick that up and read his story along with 24 other terrific stories. Um, yeah. And then what else we got going on? We have an event coming up in eight days. Oh, but well, let's stick with mentions really quick. We also got a mention uh, from the Solar Side website a long time ago. We... Uh, uh, reviewed an anthology put out by Solar Shi- Solar Side, um, and they dropped a little mention of us saying that uh, they had a list of things that people should be reading, and our anthology was on there. So we want to thank them for giving us a little shout out as well. Yeah, and thanks to Gawain for being in our book because that's I think what put it over the top. Yeah, well, <laughs> in in many ways that's what put it over the top. Yeah, I. Uh... <laughs> From now on, I'm only going to refer to her by her last name. Just Gowan, yeah. Anybody else talk about us? Uh, lots of people talking about us on Facebook, but as far as like dedicated websites, I think that's the uh, at, at the at the point that we're recording this. That's all we have to report on. Okay, well, get to it, people. That's more, more to come. We've been, we've been. People have been reaching out to us to talk to us about the book or to review the book. So there's definitely going to be more, more press, more fluttering about about our anthology 
Yeah, I think that um, Amazon in their relationship with the publisher that we used um, has really kind of hurt us a little bit. Um, and that it wasn't quite the 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 start I wanted to get on this. Um, but I think that's all going to even out and take care of itself here in the next uh, week or so. That's right, bitches. And one thing uh, for people who have read the book uh, and will understand this reference, we are in the process of putting together that little thing we promised at the end of the book. So check back next week. So the last week of July, first week of August, around that time. And um, we should have it ready for you. Make sense? Indeed. Makes sense to me. Sweet. And if you don't know what we're talking about, yeah, just buy the book. Buy the book. Read the book. And you'll be like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. All right. There's something, if it's okay with you, there's something I want to say about the anthology. Um, uh, we talked about it before. And the whole idea was that, um, we, you know, we put together a, a collection of five-star stories, right? And our little, absolutely. So our little nod, our little cute little nod to that was, um, you know, when there's a scene break in a story, there's five black stars, and that's what's separating the scenes. So, you know, it was our little, hey, this is a five star thing going on, right? A lot of attention to detail goes into this. Like I said before, um, you know, releasing it on the anniversary of Armed and Bound was kind of a big thing and stuff like that. Um, So there's actually quite a lot of thought that went into the book and I'm wondering if people have been picking up on any of that. So if you've seen something and you're like, hey, this reminds me of or hey, I wonder if this is because of um, let us know what you think because there's actually a handful of things in there that are that that probably we spent a little too much time talking about and thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> um, a little bit more on the print edition or different stuff on the print edition and the ebook edition, but there's definitely stuff in there that I'm wondering if people are picking up on because it's stuff that like I'm kind of proud of in a way. I agree. Yeah, they're like little Easter eggs of sorts. So yes, I would be impressed to see if anybody notices any of those things and are astute enough. They're there. You may notice them, but are you astute enough to pick them out? So you know, shoot us an email or a Facebook message if you come across something. We'll either one of us will be happy to tell you if it was actually an homage to something or an accidental one. Which could happen at times, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe people are things. noticing stuff that we didn't even mean, but it's like more, you know, possible. Yep. Um, but then, then you know, don't forget the um, Kindle edition. Two additional stories by people who've appeared on this podcast. One of them has been on this podcast um, a handful of times. The other one has been on this podcast like 170 times. Whoa! Mm-hmm. That only leaves two options. It's not me. <laughs> so oh, it's me. Yeah, yeah, it's me. I have a so story. A story from from Rob Olson. Would you like to get, tell the listeners a little, little bit about your story? Oh, like a synopsis of my story? <laughs> yeah. Come on, how this many people have done that to? This is so exactly. weird. Um, oh my God, that's right. I'm on. Oh, this is the worst. <laughs> now I know how everybody feels. All right, so. Um, uh, it, it's a little story about a dude and uh, his, his kind of day-to-day life, um, which on a specific day goes incredibly, incredibly bad. And um, kind of what he thinks about that and his his influence on that situation. Um, and it was really my, my kind of analysis of the things that we do carelessly that may have greater consequence. 
Edgewater Red Eye. Yep. Only available in the ebook edition of the book anthology. That's the only place yeah. you're going to find it. Yep. The other uh, the other story. Would you like to tell folks about the other story since I got to, to launch that one? Uh, the other story is by the, our editor, Pelavia. And um, it's a story called The Donna Motels. Am I telling about the story or are you synopsizing it? No, I don't even know if we're going to synopsize it. We'll okay. let her do it at some point. Yeah, but um, I, I've been known in the past to say that nobody um, can approach Pelavia when it comes to emotional content. And I stand by that statement with this story as well. Um, two great stories by two of my favorite people. Um, all the more reason to pick up the Kindle copy. But we have a beautiful book. So you may want the paper copy too. I don't know. That's right. You got to see this beautiful back cover. Back cover? Not part of the ebook. Do you see what we're doing here? We have turned into corporate America. There's plenty of reason for you to buy both. We are incentivizing the shit out of both of them. Exactly. So at any rate... Go get your copy, paper copy, go to barnesandnoble.com. Although I'm very confident you'll get it if you order from Amazon, regardless of what that message on their site says. Um, a ebook, go ahead and go directly to amazon.com. All right, if you need to get an EPUB, you want to get a hold of Rob, or you can email us at uh, bookpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, message Rob on Facebook, something, whatever. We do have EPUBs. They will be on Barnes & Noble if you want to buy them from a reputable, I'm doing the air quotes, vendor. Um, they'll also be up on iBooks, I believe, and that, but that's not going to be till next month. We're not doing that directly. It's being done through our publisher, who takes a little while longer. Because oddly enough, Rob was able to make a Moby in like 45 seconds, which is like a publishing, you know, it takes weeks, weeks. It's, it's a lot yeah. of work. If this was the so. publishing Olympics, I would have, I'd be, uh, who's that swimming guy from the United States who everybody, and then he got caught smoking pot. I'd be that guy. It, it would be incredible. Um, okay. Yeah, but I'm probably juicing. But anyway, yeah, absolutely. If you need an EPUB, either you know, if you're using a Nook or uh, an I, iOS device and you need an EPUB, um, you know, we're still doing eight. We could just do $8 PayPal. I'll send you the EPUB. It's cheaper than what we're doing the Kindle for right now, right? Yep. So there, get a deal because because uh, our, our, our distributors are slow. Now, I'm not going to call out anybody on this. Most of you have probably heard the show before. You've heard us talk about PDFs and how we feel about them. You heard me just say, you know, <laughs> make fun of how long it takes to make a, a, a Mobi file. God damn it. If one, so we sent out ebooks to all of the contributors. And like the second email we got back was, isn't there a PDF of this? <laughs> and I wanted to smash my head into a table. It happened. We love you. You know who you are. And we love you and adore you. But God damn it with the PDF. Stop already. Yeah, I, I've, I'm proud to say that of, of all the possible formats, um, PDF is the one that, like, yeah, we're going to be the toughest to get to get from. Dude, I was thinking about this at, at work the other day because we have a fax machine at work. PDFs are the fax machine of now. Yeah, they it, really it's are. It's like 20-year-old technology. <laughs> they really should be obsolete, but for some reason people still cling to it. <laughs> All right, and uh, I think we're done with selling, but uh, I just want to make sure that we remind everybody, because this is going to be the last episode probably that goes up, maybe, maybe not, but maybe, possibly this is the last episode that goes up before it happens, that we are doing our reading, which is our book release party for the Book Day Anthology at the Galway Arms in Chicago, 2442 North Clark Street, Saturday, August 3rd, 7 p.m., Livius, who's going to be reading there? Kevin Lynn Helmick. 
David, James, Keaton, Richard Thomas, Chris Deal, Joshua Allen Deach. With special guest host Brayton Cameron, a.k.a. Skip Papersley. It's going to be an all-star all star cast, star-studded night. Um, God damn it, the way Amazon's screwing around, that might be your first uh, your first uh, chance to get an uh, actual physical copy of a book because we will have them there. <laughs> we they're have on we'll, order. They're, they're being shipped. They're shipped already, right? They're arriving tomorrow. Yeah, there you go. A so, pile of those bitches. Yep, so uh, that's awesome stuff. But speaking of Skip Papersley, I got to be honest with you. If anybody's noticed, we're a little late on this episode because we've had a ton of stuff going on. Um, when book news wasn't showing up, I really thought it was because Joey Camo goddamn broke Skip Papersley, Skip Papersley's heart because we were going to have him on to interview Joey. Yep. Well, we still and, are. Well, yeah, but you know, I was thinking like, <laughs> there's the poor Skip is like maybe suicidal, maybe he's already done himself in. There's no 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 communication from him after we were like, yeah, I don't think this is going to happen. And well, then miraculously today, three months from then, if Skip killed himself, I would have had to hire a detective to uh <laughs> investigate. to find out if I killed him for being to funny. find out yeah exactly <laughs> sorry it's okay um but then today this little gem shows up here is the triumphant return of skip papersley with book news This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Rosamund Pike, best known for her role as Miranda Frost in Die Another Day, and one of the two women in Jack Reacher, has been offered the role of Amy Dunn in the upcoming film version of the greatest book ever, Gone Girl, by the greatest human ever, my wife, Gillian Flynn. Rosamund will be playing opposite of Ben Affleck and hopes that, quote, Affleck doesn't make things weird. When reached for comment, Gillian Flynn stated... Pike will be great, and Skip Papacy is all anyone could ever want in a man. In other news, a recent study by the American Society for Authors and Publishers announced that it discovered that all of the noir books have been written. After extensive tests, interviews, surveys, and rooms full of monkeys with typewriters, the ASAP researchers discovered that not a single new piece of noir fiction will ever be written again. This sent a shockwave through the noir writer community, which sent them into an even bigger rye binge. Neo-noir authors rejoiced. Now for the New York Times bestsellers and fiction recap. Bombshell by Catherine Coulter bombs the list at number five. The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman is at the deep end at number four. Tumbling to the third spot is Khalid Husseini with And the Mountain's Echo. By Odin's Raven, number two is Brad Thor with Hidden Order. And again, the number one book is Dean Brown's Inferno, making it an unforgettable fire. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. All right, once again, that was Booked News, The Triumphant Return, Skip Papersley. He sounded in good spirits, um, but maybe our noir writers shouldn't be in such good spirits. Yeah, way to alienate half our listenership there, Skip. See, I told you guys there's no reason to like him. I've been saying it for weeks. This, this, we're, we're not even, this, the episode's going to post and it's going to be available and somewhere Richard Thomas is going to be scowling. Yeah. All I can say is I'm glad this is, this is increasing the suspect pool <laughs> for the Skip Papersley suicide, <laughs> maybe murder three months from now. Investigation <laughs> three months from now. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love Skip Papersley. I can't believe Dan Brown's still on top. You'd think that he would have been, uh, 
usurped, usurped by now, whatever. Yeah. Say that word. Yeah. Galbraith should have been knocking him off, if nothing else. I'm really surprised that didn't happen yet. You know what I think part of the problem with that is, though? I'm pretty sure Skip does the standard New York Times bestseller list, which is only paper. Oh, not the combined ebooks. Right. And, so yeah. what happened with this was um, everybody in, in like the entire UK sold out of this book in like a day, but it's because every bookstore had like two or three copies. There were no stacks waiting when this That's news true. broke. So as you know, publishing can take a long time. <laughs> so I think that uh, I think that they're just a little behind. So I'm probably next week once the paper books hit all the stores in in mass quantities is when when we'll see her hit the top of the list. Yeah, um, yeah. Hopefully, she 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 can't stand being anywhere else, right? No, no. Dude, I'm. Can I just again aside? And I know this episode's going long, but this made me think of um, James Spader. Um, he has a new show. Did you, did you see the trailer for the new show? Oh, no. What? It's called The Blacklist. What is it? It is a TV show where he plays a a kind of Hannibal Lectory kind of character. Basically, here's what happened. They they capture him and he is like <gasps> yes. He's killed a bunch of people or something, but he has kept tabs on all the terrorists that like the US doesn't know about and he demands to work with one particular FBI agent. That's right. I found out about this like uh, a long time ago, and then I forgot about it. Yeah, it's on I was just now, thinking right? About, yeah, uh, no, it, it's not starting until September, I think. It's this fall, but the the trailers, the preview started this past week. Um, but I was thinking maybe she just needed the money, like James Spader, because when I saw that, I was like, oh no, James Spader ran out of money because that's the only time he works. Maybe J.K. Rowling blew through her hundreds of millions of dollars and needed to write another book. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm, I'm gonna doubt that. But um, I did just, I was just thinking about um, what, because you were saying that The Cuckoo's Calling probably sold out, and that's why it's not on the number one bestsellers list. That prompted me to go to eBay. Oh, what the cost is on a first edition? Can you imagine? All right, so a uncorrected proof and accompanying publisher's press release is going for right now is in U.S. dollars. Can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah. 1200 not bad. The the that one is going for nineteen hundred nineteen dollars, or it's got a very reasonable buy it now of three thousand seventy one dollars and twenty one cents. Oh, why would you bother bidding? Um, the premium domain name is going for thirteen hundred dollars. A hardback first edition second reprinting, um, sixty one dollars. Now, see, I'm thinking that second reprinting has to be after. Or right. maybe not. I don't know. Like, will the new one have her name on it? If you go to Amazon, she's listed as an author on that book. Mm-hmm. So they didn't maintain the the charade. Um, uh, oh, I can't think of what Stephen King's pseudonym was. Like, those books Bachman, are still... Richard Bachman. Yeah, the Bach, yeah, Bachman stuff still only says Bachman. But when you flip the page, it's like his picture yeah. with the name Richard Bachman. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... You know, but this one, yeah, you Google J.K. Rowling and or you Amazon search J.K. Rowling and it comes right up. So I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've got the twelve hundred. I just don't know if I should spend it on buying that book. <laughs> of course you should. It's not that I don't have it. I just think yeah. I might have other things I want to do with that money. Yeah. Like, like I can buy else. a lot of copies of our book. Well, I mean, all right. So if you're if you're on the fence about spending that much on a one and a half star book, mm-hmm. what would you do? For a five-star book. 
I'm probably the same thing I always do. Spend like 12 bucks, including shipping on Amazon. There you go. There are lots of five-star books that uh, you can get inexpensively. All right. That's all I'm saying. There it is, guys. Sean Ferguson. How does Facebook know I read Inferno? <laughs> is it tied in with Goodreads? Yeah, but I haven't put a book on Goodreads in a year. I don't know. God damn it. Facebook like knows I read Inferno. This is really bothering me. Is this like on the podcast or off the podcast? I don't care. <laughs> Dude, okay, so like I, I ugh. it also knows I watched Hemlock Grove. How does Facebook know about your life? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, can I correct something from the previous episode really quick? Sure. I mean, we're at like an hour and a half. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we got plenty of time. Don't worry about this. <laughs> um, we were talking about the letters that the mother in um, the summer has ended, mm-hmm. and and Brayton brought up uh, House of Leaves. Yes. And the collection of letters, I believe, is the Whalestone letters. Right? Am I right about right. that? Yeah. That's not the word he used. Oh. He said what the he, he said the whale's tail letters. Which, oh, which would be which that's would when be your panties. that's when your thong is sticking up from the top of your pants. <laughs> Did you really so, say that? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, I hope he was talking about the whale stone letters and not a bunch of letters from a mother to her son about her thong sticking up out of her pants because that would just be gross. Dude, maybe maybe he saw the porn parody of House of Leaves and he got confused. Oh god. I don't want to think about the porn parody of House of Leaves. Yeah. Called the Whale Tail Letters. <laughs> oh. oh, we need to end this. Yeah, yeah, it's gone too long. Hey, listen, uh, I, I do have to mention this because at the top of the music, <laughs> some of you might have been thinking that is the music that you fall asleep to when you fall asleep in the middle of Fight Club and you wake up to it way too loud on your DVD like I've done hundreds of times. Fight Club 2, it's coming. Maybe we'll talk about it next episode. That's Until right. then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. Keep reading.